Hello, and welcome to The Scott Mize Show, a podcast focused on health, diet, bodybuilding, and philosophy. I interview experts, doctors, coaches, and N equals one case studies to answer your questions about improving health, achieving your best physique, and making sustainable progress. We'll cover topics from carnivore and ketogenic diets, to bodybuilding, to life philosophy, and everything in between. Enjoy the show. This episode is brought to you by Element E Electrolytes. This month, we're switching it up with an exclusive offer that's only for VIP LMNT partners, including Carnivore Cast listeners. You can now receive this free sample pack along with any regular purchase when you use my custom link, which is provided in the show notes or my Instagram link in bio. That's drinklmnt.com forward slash Cast, all one word. And as I said, I'll include the link in the show notes. LMNT electrolytes are convenient, evidence-based, and delicious. And get yours today to help support the show. Thank you. Abel Chabai is an expert in effective and sustainable physique enhancement. He returns to the show last time we talked about some of his views on training and nutrition and how they've evolved over time, his content on YouTube, um, and his mission for the last five years has been to help people get into their best shape, build muscle in the most efficient way possible, modify their body settling point, and more importantly, do it in a sustainable way that's integrated into their lifestyle. Um, and can remain enjoyable. He runs the SSD Able YouTube channel where he has hundreds of free videos interviewing top experts in exercise, creating deep and practical guides, and topic overviews on key fitness topics, and sharing his experiences. Welcome to the show, Abel. Thank you, Scott. It was a great experience last time, so uh, hopefully <laughs> it will be it will be like that uh, this time as well for everybody. And also just for anybody watching, sorry for the unbelievably crappy quality, but um, I tried to fix my camera in the beginning <laughs> and I made it worse. So that's what's happening here. It's all good. It's all good. We we know you're beautiful underneath all that. Um, so oh, yeah. <laughs> I wanted to start with talking a bit about um, kind of your nutrition history um, and what you've tried um, going from like starting out when you first learned about nutrition to your experience with carnivore, to where you are now. Um, and then uh, eventually I want to ask you some questions about your recent bulk. Um, but let's start with kind of the background and history, if you don't mind. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I remember I remember we briefly touched on it last time. I'm not sure if it made it into the eventual podcast that you released, but um, like I remember that it was kind of a mess uh, how I tried to talk about the whole thing the last time. So it will be more concise this time. <laughs> so I would say that I had three big phases that I can talk about with regards to my nutrition history. So there was the, I guess, four, it would, if we count the initial kind of um, just searching my path sort of phase, which I don't even really need to go into because that was just basically a gigantic, gigantic, messy, very hectic thing with no structure and no beginning and end really. It was just kind of uh, searching something that made any sense. After that, the first, I guess, uh, strategy, like actual strategy that I was following was the low carb, which like like low carb keto intermittent fasting like a lot of these things are intertwined these days i think in people's heads 
and a lot of these kind of nutritional philosophies are overlapping a lot of the people that are going to be the gatekeepers for these or the kind of a I guess the spearheading gurus there will be presenting on the same conferences and uh, we'll be appearing on each other's podcasts. So I was following a lot of these folks. And so, yeah, I remember starting off with Mark Sisson's stuff, um, who I think actually is a person that we, we can admire for a lot of his work. Yeah. And for the most part, he's a, he's a fairly balanced individual. I think still, I, I, think of him quite highly. I don't think he is really promoting anything that could be considered harmful in any way. Maybe some people would say that he is promoting the consumption a bit too much saturated fat. That, that's kind of a, a controversial topic still. Um, and then from then on, yeah, I, I guess I, I ventured into the works of some folks that I, I don't I would not endorse these days. So people like John Kiefer and Gary Taubes. Um, so yeah, like I got into the weeds of this a lot and, and that was, that, that was definitely not a, a phase that I'm particularly proud of because it came with a lot of dogmatic views and just also a lot of arrogance, I guess that was in me. Like I, I was just ready to give lectures to people in like parties that I attended when, when, when I heard that they were into any kind of nutrition or fitness related stuff at all, I would just <laughs> tell them how it quote unquote is. So, um, yeah, that was kind of like my, my dark phase in this whole thing. Then from then on, I found some of the evidence based folks like Eric Helms and Lane Norton were one of the first and then I got into the whole, if it fits your macros, like, okay, I'm going to be eating pretty much anything. Um, I will prioritize more satiating food. So that's what I did get, but I was very, very neurotic and kind of obsessive with calorie counting and macro counting, especially calorie counting. So tracking the, like all three macronutrients, that was never something that I did very meticulously, but, um, it, it was fairly obsessive and it, it did actually create a problem for me while I was doing that was, uh, also kind of overlapping with the period where I managed to get lean for the first time. So, and, and that was actually, maybe I could have mentioned that, but that was actually at the end of the whole low carb phase. So I did kind of acknowledge finally and had to just come to terms with the fact that calories really do matter. And it's not just about keeping insulin levels and blood sugar levels low, but I was still following low carb, like kind of as a just in case policy, like, okay, calories do matter, but I mean, but, but just in case, like I'll, I'll keep carbs very low. So I, I did get down to around the 10% body fat mark, maybe even below that, um, and, and I actually did manage to stay quite lean while I was following then the, the balanced diet or balanced kind of macronutrient profile, but very obsessive calorie counting kind of thing. Um, and then I followed that for the longest, maybe out of all of these, but then it did start to create so many 
problems as a result of being so obsessive with everything that my kind of disordered eating uh, patterns really started to started to become just something that I not coexist with. And so I started not only to struggle with the, the disordered eating itself, but like it actually started hurting my results as well. So I started having more and more binges. And as a result of the binging, of course, I could just not stay lean anymore either, which put the whole leanness and getting lean again thing on a pedestal even more. So you, as you can imagine, it just created this really vicious cycle. And, and then I guess would come my third big nutritional phase, which is still a balanced diet. So as far as the technicalities and macronutrient profiles and whatever, it would be a balanced diet, but without counting and tracking things. And that's something that I really started doing since 2017, the summer of 2017, um, and have been doing it since. And that has really been a big, like a, like a huge game changer because the big difference between that and the first two kind of approaches that I followed is that not only have I been, I mean, for the most part, managed to stay lean with that, but it's also something that I can foresee staying lean with if I want to for really the rest of time for me. Uh, if if I'm not going to be lean going forward, it's going to be because I just don't want to. And, and that is really the big difference. Like, I don't feel like this is a, a ticking time bomb at this point. So, so yeah, th that's, that is basically what's been going on for the last, uh, for the better part of the last six years. And it's been pretty cool. I still went back to calorie counting for brief periods. So I did a photo shoot where I got very lean. And then two years ago, I also got not, not as lean, but still quite lean. Uh, so for that, I did count calories for like two, three months at a time. Uh, but that, that's really it. Um, so yeah, that's, that's basically an overview of my past, like 10, 11 years or so. Yeah. Interesting. And, uh, I, I followed a lot of it, which has, um, been really, really interesting to follow. And it's, it's been cool to hear your mindset and, um, introspection around it change as well. Uh, yeah, I didn't touch about, on the carnivore diet, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I wanted to ask like, you, why you tried the carnivore diet, what you found from it, um, and like how it worked for you for, for that time you did it. Yeah. So the carnivore diet, how, how that came about uh, this whole thing has been, um, I, if, if I really want to extend it to the totality of it, where I at least followed elements of it, then maybe it's, it, encompassed like i don't know like like uh, a period of six months or so um maybe longer uh, i'm trying to think back um for like the the duration for which i actually followed a strict carnivore diet that would be like about two months and how that came about was that i was i was really happy and and really satisfied with how this whole you know, balanced, tracking-free, kind of auto-regulated auto eating strategy was going for me. And for the most part, the way my diet looked is that I was eating a fair amount of non-starchy veggies, um, cucumbers and tomatoes are my go-to really. Like, like those are the two items, I guess those are technically fruits, but I, 
I like them. They don't mess up my stomach. They I they don't get me particularly bloated or, you know, it's just like a temporary like like distension that I get. And then it's just very predictable how my gut reacts to them. And the same thing with things like strawberries and um well, these days mostly strawberries, but like some other fruits like um like melons. So a lot of kind of lower calorie plant foods that I can eat in in large enough quantities so that I feel full from them and I enjoy eating them, like some dairy products, meat products, whatever. It's just a matter of preference and and um calorie density and and that would that will be just uh, a function of my goals at the time. So basically I had like a very kind of nicely set in stone kind of blueprint and like food rotation I was following. And it was like, cool, like, like this is going to work really for the rest of my life. There's really no need to tweak the whole thing at all. And, um, one time I had the idea that I'm going to buy some pumpkins or, or squash. I don't remember which one it was. And I baked a whole bunch of them up. And usually when I bake them, I actually just bake the whole thing. I, I don't cut the the peels off either. Um, because if you like bake it well enough, then you can just really eat the whole thing and no need to mess with it. So I'll just get the seeds off. And I I guess I just didn't bake it well enough or or I, my stomach was just not ready for the whole thing. But it that that thing got me so bloated for like days and it, it was just not going away. And and eventually it did go away, but then I, I don't know. Like from then on, like things were just not the same. Like no matter what I was eating with any sort of fiber in it, it just bloated me up like crazy. And and it was actually embarrassing. Like I was walking around and I I I, I was thinking that I I should get some one of these um what what are those called like like shapewear that that women put on sometimes to get their stomachs sucked in shapewear right like like one of yeah, these elastic yeah. pieces of clothing that i should get one of those because I, my stomach was just so distended um and so because that was getting so frustrating and because i also ran into this facebook post from Berge fagerli who i'm sure we are going to reference at some point um about his experiment with the carnivore diet um i I just started looking into it because I was curious, like, okay, so like carnivore diet, so you're eating only meat, like, like that could actually sound interesting for like, like that could actually be something for me to try because I, I did notice that, okay, if I don't eat any plant foods for whatever reason, like I just, I just quickly need to get something and I'm whatever, just going to grab a piece of deli meat or something. I did notice that I'm not not getting the same sort of distension, which I mean, it, it did make sense, right? Like food volume, if nothing else, but also like what is going to bloat me up? Well, it's going to be fiber oftentimes or that like I didn't need to be a lot more selective with the plant foods that I was eating than with any sort of animal-based protein source. So, so it did intrigue me. And then I listened to a couple of podcasts with Burger. And there, there he sort of explained how he felt. And I mean, it, it was a little bit of, um, 
a too good to be true sort of thing, like, um, you know, digestion, amazing energy levels through the roof felt like the fat was just, uh, melting off of him and, and stuff like that. So it was like, okay, it, it does sound a bit too good to be true, but luckily I'm not looking for all of those benefits. I mean, if fat, fat is also melting off of me and energy levels are going to be through the roof, I mean, that's great, but I'm going to give this whole carnivore thing a go because like, I just cannot take this whole gut distension thing anymore. Um, and funny story is that I actually had two, two goes at the whole thing. And the first time I, I almost ended up breaking up with my girlfriend after like two days because I, I could just not sleep, um, at all. Um, it, it was only partly because of the of the carnivore stuff because I was going through a stressful period, but historically it always helped me to get that bit of a carb knockout thing in the evening. And now I didn't even have that. So, so I basically slept nothing. And then, yeah, I guess like second day of carnivore dieting, it was just a little bit too much for me and ended up getting into some huge fight with my 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 girlfriend about like i don't know what what the hair color of someone was and we had had a big disagreement over that so um i was like okay probably this is not the right time to be doing this whole carnivore diet thing but then like a month later i attempted it again and then i decided to really stick it out and yeah like like there were a lot of interesting experiences uh, which um let me know how much you would like me to go into it but I can definitely talk about all of those if you'd like. Um, yeah, super interesting. I, I think a lot of people find the carnivore diet is really good as like an elimination diet um, and especially a, a good way to find out like what vegetables and carb sources you can and can't tolerate. Um, yeah. And then you can reintroduce them. A lot of people, myself included, don't do well with like broccoli and cruciferous vegetables. Um, so I think that's fairly common. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's actually, it's actually quite interesting as well because things do change over time. Yes. Like, um, you have, you have, uh, some little irritations perhaps that you're causing to your digestive system with all kinds of things that you're doing and. The thing is that we do notice when we have some stomach problem, when your stomach is like aching and you have like some horrendous diarrhea that is actually like kind of unpredictable or something that then obviously you take notice, but you know, I mean, probably a lot of listeners can relate to what I'm about to say. Like I've, I've had periods where, you know, some, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't like it when people are getting into big details about like their bowel movements, but, um, <laughs> you know, w w without being like, like too explicit and disgusting. I mean, I've had periods where what was happening in the toilet in terms of like, you know, um, how loose things were getting on the lower end, uh, were I mean, not, not really normal. If I'm being honest, like, uh, I wouldn't say that I had like some horrible, like diarrhea, but like that, that's, that's not how things are supposed to be when you go to the bathroom. Like, like, let's put it that way. And the thing is like, did I change anything in what I was doing? No, because it was not like, it was never creating a problem for me. Like socially, I never needed to like sprint to the next toilet, like during, 
during the day or whatever. Um, so as long as it's not like that, but I'm just at home and it's like, okay, I'm just going to go to the toilet. It's like, well, okay, that, that's just what happens. I'm, I, I was, I was not getting concerned over what I'm doing with my diet, but probably I should have, you know, because like, um, there, there is, there is an indication there that something that you're doing, your digestive system is just not loving. And, you know, how many, how many of us have experienced things like that multiple times over the course of the year? Sometimes like, sometimes that's just how life was for extended periods. And you do this for years. I mean, who knows what that's exactly doing. So now if I'm thinking back, broccoli used to not be an issue for me. Um, apples used to not be an issue for me. Now they are watermelon um, used to not be an issue for me. Actually, it seems like it's not an issue now again, but for years now, it it, it actually has been. Like I could just not, I, I could eat it in some tiny amounts. But I mean, when I was a kid, I would, I would eat like a whole watermelon a day in the summer because I just loved it and was never an issue. So, so it's kind of crazy that um, as time goes on, unfortunately, we just develop a whole bunch of little intolerances. It doesn't mean that you have a food allergy, but some intolerance to things that um, is probably just a consequence of not super great like dietary practices. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they can also sometimes go the other way. Um, sometimes there are foods you can't tolerate and then all of a sudden you find yeah. you can't. It's, rare, it's more rare, but it happens. Um, yeah. Uh, one thing you've talked about with auto-regulated eating for you in particular is needing to focus mostly on really filling high volume foods. Um, like you mentioned tomatoes, cucumbers, berries, uh, Greek yogurt, lean meat. Is that still something you found you, you have to focus on to like main, depending on where you are body fat wise, or do you feel like you've been able to expand that? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, a, that's a good question. Um, and, and I think it's worth addressing that I, I it's, um, it, it's actually been very useful for me to see someone else on the internet going really hard on the whole volume, um, volume concept when it comes to diet success. Can you take a guess who that person is? Greg Doucette. <laughs> yes, you got it. <laughs> How did you guess? Um, so yes. Um, and at first I was like, Oh, that that's amazing. Like there is this mainstream or to become very mainstream a couple of years ago. Um, so yeah, that was Greg Doucette. Like, like here's this person who is talking about this and is really making it a big point. And like, he's gaining like a hundred thousand subscribers a day or whatever. So now people are gonna get something on the internet that is actually useful. And then like when, I, when I started seeing just how hard he's going on, on this concept, then it actually forced me to think more about the, the limitations of this because, um, he was, he was sort of overselling the idea that like, as long as the food volume is crazy high, then, then basically dieting is going to be a breeze. And, and, and the, the, the fact is that it is. For one, um, there is no need to max out on food volume from the get-go when you're, when you're dieting or if you're not dieting, you're just trying to not gain fat. Um, 
it, it there is no need to prioritize it you know above all there is an amount of food volume that i think every person needs like there is just uh a level of fullness and a level of um basically your stomach being filled up that someone needs to experience to say like okay i'm i'm satiated and satisfied and you need to get that and no more than that like you, there's no need to add a margin of safety beyond that because that is not going to make you more satisfied it's just going to make you more bloated uh, that's 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 one thing the second thing is that yes there does come a point for example during a tough diet um where you're just not going to be satisfied and like nicely satiated and non-food focused pretty much no matter what you do like um i mean from what i'm gathering you're not as much of a big eater as i am for example yeah. scott but um but i i mean i've i have seen you you've gotten insanely shredded so um i'm sure you can relate at least to some extent that like there comes a point where you're just not getting the same satisfaction after a meal as you would like i don't know like a good 5 10 but but if a percentage is higher yeah. yeah um right so so there does come that point but the thing is um food volume at that point is is going to be something that you can sort of use to make up for the lack of actual satiety and the lack of actual nutrition, but it's not going to be like a, a replacement for, for actually getting in some fuel. Like there, there is that thing, there's that, that weird feeling where, okay, like I'm actually bloated. Like my stomach feels very uncomfortable, but I still don't feel like I've eaten enough. So, and, and it, and it would hurt to eat even more. But, but at the same time, I, 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 there's still something missing. Um, so if that is going to work in basically helping you stay more satiated, it's going to be because the pain that you're getting in the stomach is just like overpowering the, the discomfort of being hungry. <laughs> um, so is that something that we should like glorify or like, like talk about as like a diet hack? you know, to a limited extent. So, so I, I, I would say that, that it's worth moderating the whole like food volume, uh, appraisal it's yeah. Food volume is a very useful thing to be uh, aware of because th there is certainly an amount of food volume that you do need to just feel satiated period. That's one of the reasons why restaurant foods can be so problematic, for example. Um, and and for example, the carnivore diet is, is one experience that actually can really teach you that there is more to satiety than just food volume. So like when, like, for example, people on a ketogenic diet as well, people on a carnivore diet, like when you're eating foods that are going to be like absorbing very slowly, like breaking down more slowly, they're probably, you're also kind of switching over to a different fuel source to an extent that you're going to be using. So you're going to be using ketones and fats instead of sugar or glucose to put it in a needlessly fancy way. Um, at that point, you're going to be relying on food volume much less. In fact, you probably should. Um, 
like on a carnivore diet, you're definitely going to be better off eating a lower volume of food and just eating fattier meats and having some actual thing in your body that you can effectively use for energy, which is going to be the fat from the meat. That's going to be much better than using a whole bunch more lean meats because that's more volume. That's a quick fire way to feel like absolute death, even yeah. though you're, you're getting to fill up your plate a little bit more. That's what um, I was doing at the end of the carnivore diet for myself. Um, and it yeah. didn't work. <laughs> uh, were you dieting at the time? No. So I, the problem I had with the carnivore diet is eventually I um, couldn't eat enough to maintain my weight. I needed about three and a half to 4,000 calories just to maintain. Mm. And I couldn't really tolerate more than 150 grams of fat a day. Um, uh. If I went above that, I would feel great for a couple days. And then at night at like 3 a.m., far away from any of my meals, I would get really intense um, pain in my stomach, a lot of burping and like feeling very bloated. Um, and so <laughs> what that meant is, you know, if I'm eating 150 grams of fat or a little bit less, that means I would have to have like hundreds and hundreds of grams of protein if I'm not eating any carbs. And when you're having that much protein, you know, there are a lot of problems you have to pee all the time. You're sweating a lot. To your point, it's not a very efficient fuel source. Um, so that's why I started to need to reintroduce um, carbs is because that's the problem I was running up against. Yeah, that's that's interesting. And, and did you try, just out of curiosity, did you try like different um, ways of distributing your meals um, and, and and nothing worked? Yeah, I tried fewer meals, more meals. I was already eating meals pretty early in the day, but I, I experimented with spacing them out more. Um, and I also tried a lot of different fat sources. So a lot of people on the carnivore diet say that, oh, you can't tolerate rendered fat, like liquid fats. You need to eat solid fats. And the only really, there's really only two sources of solid fat that exist. One is... Um, like the fat you find on a steak. And the second is beef suet, um, which you can like get from the butcher. It's basically the fat that's around kidney. Um, mm -hmm. And you can eat that raw. Um, right. Which kind of tastes like sweet chalk is how I would describe it. Okay. Um, and so I tried doing that and still my body couldn't tolerate the amount of fat. Hmm. That, that's interesting. Yeah. Like, uh, um, and I guess butter that would not that would be cheating. No, that's still <laughs> rendered because that's still oh, that's rendered. That's still been rendered. In its yeah, 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 yeah. True. Yeah. Well, um, I, I guess like if you were to talk to um, like a Sean Baker or or someone like or some paleo person, like maybe they would um, maybe they would recommend like trying out some bile supplement or something. Yeah, like I that. did that as well. I I worked oh, on my digestion. I worked with some diet some experts on my digestion and unfortunately it just didn't make enough of a difference. Um, mm. Well, yeah. Then I guess your body sent you a message. <laughs> yeah. Everything worked out. Everything worked out. Um, yeah. And I felt, and I found I could tolerate a lot of the foods better after doing carnivore. I don't know if 
carnivore made a difference or if it was just like giving my gut a break. Um, but that was, that yeah, was same here. Um, you, you recently went through like a pretty extensive bulk up to a body weight you haven't really, or at least a body fat percentage. I, I don't think you've been at in a while. What, yeah. um, what, why did you do that? And like, what did you learn from it? And I know you have a video on this, which goes very in depth, which I thought was great, but I'd love to hear, um, synopsis. Yeah. yeah. It's, um, I mean, so first of all, like, um, I, I did, I did, uh, have some thinking as well as some very inspiring conversations with, um, with some people that really kind of pushed me to try a big bulk or first of all, before I even decided to try it, to, uh, it, it really just pushed me in the direction of becoming a lot more optimistic about big bulks and being a lot more lenient with the amount of fat gain that you allow on that bulk. Um, than I was before. So I was a lot more so in the camp of uh, like, like making, doing, like making very lean gains and um, like, like the Greg Doucette type main gaining or gain-taining, which is really kind of just the idea of you eat basically like very, you air very close to maintenance and then you allow some very minimal amounts of fat gain to come on just sort of like organically, like, like sort of, um, just enough to fuel yourself that that's how much you're eating. And then as you're building muscle, your body weight is like very slowly going to go up. Um, and you know, like it, it, it makes a lot of intuitive sense. It, it also of course is music to the ears of anybody who, who wants to stay lean. So after a cut that like, and reaching a body fat percentage that that took a lot of work for someone and a lot of the times we are kind of in a elated state and in a hyped up state and inspired kind of state of mind when when we get to these amazing shapes and we are obviously inspired to try to maintain it afterwards and so when someone says this it's like it's music to the ears um and so that's where I was many times when I made videos and, and content on this topic, I was at the end of cuts myself. Um, and, you know, now like after several years, um, getting lean multiple times and sort of like it, it lost its appeal a little bit or, or not, not appeal, but, but magic. So I'm, I'm no, no longer viewing my own leanness as something that like, Oh, like those wonderful times when I managed to get lean. It's like, no, like I could do it anytime. Like now I did it. Um, I, like you've seen how <laughs> gigantic and I think pretty fat I got. Um, and you know, in a couple of months, I basically lost like, but like I lost almost 20 kilos or something. So like, yeah. it's, um, maybe I've gotten a little bit better even at cutting than what would be the healthiest, but, but I've gotten very good at it. And so I think I could just reflect on it a lot more objectively. So after that way too long lead up, basically the conclusion I got to is that perhaps it's a good idea to start viewing fat gain on a bulk, um, as well as the, the process of gaining body weight, as 
not just the side effect of balking, which is often not very pleasant and 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 it's obviously annoying uh, aesthetically, not what we prefer, but we just have to accept it. So it's not just that, but it's actually a necessity and it's something that is actually fa partly facilitating the process of building muscle as well. And, um, you know, there are some decent evolutionary explanations um, that make sense. Um, very shortly, it's basically just that body fat gain, you know, evolutionarily. And also, like, if you just look at what happens in nature is very often, uh, and, and for most mammals, that's certainly the case that are living in, like, environments where there are seasons, it's very often correlating with a, like abundance of food and, and nutrition uh, all around. So like, and, and when that happens, that's also often the time when it makes sense to mate, when it makes sense to do a, all, all these things that are energy intensive because we are in a safe environment, like energy replete environment. We're not at risk of, okay, we're trying to make a baby, but then we're going to run out of food and die. And building muscle that is that is something that for the body is going to make sense up to a point because you don't want to be frail and fragile in nature but it also doesn't make sense to carry a whole bunch of it that is just going to make you heavier and probably slower beyond a certain point um and especially for humans like you know for quite a while it really hasn't been the case that like you needed to be this, like you don't need to be as strong as a gorilla, right? Because we had weapons for for quite a while uh, in our kind of uh, developmental history. And so, yeah, like it, it does make sense that your body is going to be a lot more okay with putting on a whole bunch of muscle beyond just what, what the necessity is to be even like healthy and functional. If you're sending the signals to your brain, I guess, that, okay, like we have an abundance of nutrition here. And so it's um, probably not the best idea if we go off of that logic to try to stay super lean and try to like ultra lean bulk or even not just super lean, just in a general sense to really try to minimize fat gain as much as humanly possible. Um, now, now that is by by the way, everything that I said is just like uh, it's logical, kind of. It makes I think good intuitive sense, but you know, we can make very very good like logical, logically sounding arguments for the whole main gaining, gaining, lean gains approach as well. So, just because it makes good intuitive sense, it doesn't mean it's right. Um, but since I really haven't seen anybody who did that in practice that like, okay, I'm looking at this person and like months and months and months after they still basically haven't put on any visible amount of body fat. Um, but they have put on muscle successfully since I really haven't seen that really ever. Um, I think it does make good sense or like, I, I think that should make us pause and become a little bit more skeptical. Plus, unfortunately I've had some personal clients experiences where it really seemed like I kind of shot them in the foot <laughs> uh, or they shot themselves in the foot by my instructions 
uh, by actually doing so well with the lean gaining approach in terms of minimizing body fat, but really failing to put on muscle and strength over the months. Um, so yeah, I, I just became a lot more optimistic, um, with, with the, with the idea of, okay, like maybe this is what we should at least try and, uh, this whole ultra lean gains approach to rest a little bit. And, um, I'm not saying that like now this is what I'm convinced of, but, um, this is where I'm hedging my bets, uh, for the, for the time being, at least. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I've definitely seen progress myself with getting bigger and putting on body fat and, um, then stripping down. And that's what worked really well for me for my photo shoot as well. Um, one thing you talked about in your video, summarizing your bulk was, um, like finding more flexibility with food. I think you gave the example of like traveling and when your when your wife wants to like go with, you want to go with her and your in-laws on like vacation or something, you feel like it increased your flexibility to some extent. Um, can you talk about yeah. that? Yeah. I mean, it's, um, that, that is an aspect of, of all of this that is, I think often enough for people to actually just give up on their original ambitions of like staying at a certain body fat percentage. Like, um, you know, it's, it's, it's one thing to eat in a certain way when you're living alone and you buy your food, you prepare your own food. But if you're trying to live a social life that's remotely flexible, um, you have to realize that the leaner you're trying to stay, probably the lower your energy intake will have to be. I mean, there, there are some very lucky people with some like incredibly resilient energy expenditures that doesn't seem to drop a lot with, um, with increased leanness or lower body fat percentages. Um, but for most people it will be. And, and even if it didn't, for most people, your hunger is going to get higher and higher and more difficult to tolerate. So you will have to fight that with something. And that something is often going to be, you know, in the absence of some like drugs or whatever you're taking to control that hunger, like it will have to be more satiating foods. Um, and usually it's a combination of two. So you will be hungrier and your energy expenditure will be lower. This is not something to like, you know, over dramatize or like, like, uh, make it out, make that out to be some sort of big deal. It's just how it is. It's just something to accept and it's fine. You just need to fight that with more satiating food choices, but that will mean that the, your food selection and, and the list of foods that are going to be viable for your day-to-day -day nutrition will be getting increasingly smaller and shorter. And so, yeah, like if to, to take an extreme example, like if, if you're trying to, if, if I try to be 7%, like that's, I would say the leanest that I've gotten so far. If, if I try to stay that lean year round, um, I mean, I can tell you what I was eating at the time I was eating cucumbers, tomatoes, um, like two or three eggs I could fit in, um, maybe like 
up to like 200 grams, um, if I'm very lenient of like fatty fish, uh, like salmon, which, which I love, by the way, um, some like around like hundred grams of lean meats, 200 grams, some lean dairy, strawberries, maybe some like other berries. Um, what else was I eating? Like, um, I mean, that, that's pretty much it. And I was just eating a lot of that. So, and, and, and at that point it was not like, oh my God, I'm eating so much. I'm so bloated all the time. Like, no, it's, it's like, my God, should I go even lower on the energy density stuff? Cause I, I'm, I'm so damn hungry. Like I really need all of this. Like it's for someone who is eating, um, like more normal, like a mixture of foods with varying energy densities and they are at a reasonable body fat percentage. It's really hard to imagine the state where you're looking at a pile of veggies that is like covering the whole table and you're making the whole thing disappear, like as if it's running on a conveyor belt. And as you're like getting like two thirds, like way through the whole pile, you're getting some anxiety because you can see that it's actually running out and you're still hungry. It's very hard to imagine, but that, that state exists at some point for everybody, I would say. Um, so, you know, if I wanted to do that year round, I mean, how the hell am I going to go to like any sort of rest, like, like social event where we are eating like restaurant food or some yeah. food that someone else prepared. And it's, you know, it's not, my average foods energy density was probably like, I don't know, like, like 60 calories per 100 grams. Even if I, like, even if I count the, the most energy dense stuff in my, in my diet, now it's going to be more like 300 calories per 100 grams. So it will be exceptionally difficult to have an actual meal there and stay under like 1500 calories or something. Um, Okay, cool. Like that's, that, that's, that's a huge chunk of my daily nutrition, like daily calorie intake. Like, uh, I, I still have like two, three, four, I'm going to two or three meals left in that day. Uh, what the hell am I going to do? And it's like, what am I going to do in the hours leading up to it? And the hours after, like, I'm, I'm going to be so damn hungry. Like if you're at a more reasonable body fat percentage, um, even if your energy expenditure is not like significantly higher than that, you are just like, like the hunger that you experience, the food focus you experience and, and the amount of food that you need to put down in terms of volume is going to be a fraction of that. So yeah, you go out for 1500 calories. I mean, really that that's no issue like, like that. So that's where this whole thing starts. It's not an issue, no matter what you're eating there, because yeah, I mean, it might be 1500, but like, you're going to be so much less hungry afterwards that you probably won't want to eat as much later. Like when you're 7%, like eat, I could be eating 2,500 calories there. I would probably still be hungry for the same amount of food later. Um, so that, that is already like a huge amount of flexibility that you're gaining by not being so lean. And, and then also probably because your energy expenditure is actually going to be higher. Um, and be, and, and because, you know, this auto-regulated hunger response is going to be working so much better. So you're going to be less hungry, not only that day, but like in the following days as well, you just, um, 
you just need to be a lot less selective about what what you're comfortable eating and what you aren't. Um, like it's it, it was actually quite interesting to experience now that I've gotten heavier than ever before, definitely heavier than ever before. It was very interesting to experience how, you know, just certain foods that earlier were basically trigger foods just became uninteresting to me. Like, um, I think so, so now I'm thinking, but I think you, Scott, were one of those people who have said some of those things that I could never relate to. Like, uh, I cannot eat enough. I cannot, um, uh, like I just become disgusted by food yeah. when I'm gaining yeah. and some of these things. Yeah. These were always these like mysterious, um, and, and just not <laughs> relatable statements that I heard. Um, this was the first time where I sort of stopped, like had a glimpse of that, like, wow. Okay. So like oatmeal, which was always like, this is a bit too tasty to fit into like now, for example, I'm not shredded, but quite lean. Yeah. Um, I would not eat oatmeal now. It's a bit, bit too energy dense, a bit too yummy. It's easier to just not have it. Then the like oatmeal, I, I, I really don't, don't give a shit. Um, yeah. and, um, yeah, like oh, oh, some other ones, like I, I'm actually curious if you had this, um, like also noticed that like my desire for sweet stuff is infinitely bigger when I'm leaner and, and, yes. and there's a huge correlation for you as well. Yeah. That's the first thing that goes away from me is like sweet, sweets just kind of disgust me and is like, don't really want sweet food. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very interesting. I basically ate nothing sweet and yeah barely drank anything sweet, like any kind of diet yeah. soda or whatever, or nor any kind of soda. Yeah. I didn't eat, I didn't consume at all. And, and it's, it's, it's also interesting. Like, I think we start consuming a lot of sweet stuff when we get leaner. Um, I mean, during any cut, I get to a point where I start putting sweeteners into diet soda <laughs> <laughs> as messed up. So I'm probably an extreme example, but, but, but I do like, uh, it's just, um, I want it want it to be sweeter. Like I know that it's sweet, yeah. but it's not sweet enough. And it's, I think it's simply that, um, you don't get enough calories and you don't get enough nutrition from your actual food. So you want to make up for that by making the taste more intense. Cause then at yeah. least like that is another signal for your brain that like, okay, something cool is happening here with the food. Um, cause your brain is very smart at making you desire or sense basically high energy density. Well, since that's off the table, then you need to be making up for that with something. But when you're at a higher body fat and you're eating more, it's not needed to pull these weird tricks. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like, like lots of interesting example, uh, yeah. experiences for sure. Yeah. I think that's a big reason to like a lot of the things you're highlighting are a reason to, even if you're, you feel comfortable staying lean, like get, have an experience where you build up to a higher body fat and really eat and see how much it changes your lifestyle and your mentality around food. Like there's a lot of value in that. Um, yeah. And you seem to like go on these kind of like weekend trips or travels with your wife a lot. Um, I'm curious, like you mentioned the food side, but as someone who you talk a lot about training daily, you like to train every day. Um, you, you've said it's like part of your routine. It makes it easier to just have it be a ha daily habit. 
how do you handle that? Like if you're, if your wife wants to go to like some cottage or something, you know, far away from a gym, like, do you just take some rest days or what do you usually do there? So I think, so, so I think, um, the, 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 the right approach to this like really depends on how much this is like, even if you do it a lot, um, is this still a relative like rarity, um, relative to other things that, that you do, uh, regularly and, and how you regularly live your life. So, um, if I, if I live the life where I do this, um, as a, as a, as a lifestyle, like a digital nomad or something, then you, that, then I don't think that traveling and having at times suboptimal training environments should be a reason to basically take, take training easy or, or consider that like a maintenance period or something like that. If otherwise you have ambitions about like building your physique, because I mean, then you're going to be on a lot of maintenance periods, right? Um, however, if it's something that like, okay, you will have some months of the year, like maybe in the summer, like, you know, in most places in Europe, uh, I guess most, most parts of the United States as well. Um, you know, in the summer, like people are a bit more outgoing, they will be traveling a bit more. Um, if that's what you're doing, then I think it's perfectly okay to consider that like a more like chill period where you're moderating your ambitions a little bit when it comes to your muscle building game. And, and like in the summer, for example, that's, that's what I did last year. That's what I'm really kind of doing this year as well. I was pushing quite hard from around like, like September till around like late May, like a proper high school student, right? Like, uh, I basically took like the more or less the school period. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I pushed it quite hard. I pushed the volumes. Um, I was in the gym like six, seven days a week. If I missed two days of the week, then that, 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 that was an anomaly for sure. Um, now really like I, I have some days where I go in there and just look around like, okay, what equipment is available? Okay, cool. Not even going to be resting enough and we'll bang out somewhere between like six to like maybe 15 sets at most and just going to call it. Um, some weeks I'm going to be missing out on some volume for some muscle groups. No big deal. I'm not going to be losing muscle if, uh, like, like this quickly, uh, if I do some work at least for them. So uh, I'm very relaxed and really like during these times of traveling somewhere and maybe missing like two, three days at once. Um, which by the way, I try not to like, uh, because for me, training has other benefits, not just the muscle building. Um, but even if that happens, it's, it's like, it, it's not going to stress me out because uh, I know that that's not how I regularly go about things. And, and I also just became okay with, okay, like, like this, this period I'm allowing myself to chill, which, which, um, I don't want to make it out to be something that is is trivial and like everybody should be able to just rationally say this because it's it's very much a new development from me and and it's um it's not even it's not even necessarily something that i think is necessarily going to benefit everybody 
um, because I know that the more obsessive, like, and more kind of fear driven mentality that I had around this in a way, I think made my life, um, more fulfilling at one period. Like there was always something in the back of my head that I know that like, okay, no matter how crappy things might be in other areas, which sometimes they were, I always have this goal that can like keep me going. That like, it's, it's, it's nice. Like I, I have something to strive for. Like I'm, I'm never purposeless because I have this big purpose with this. So, um, I'm not even glorifying this, that like, I'm able to say that now that, okay, this period is about being chill. Um, and, and I do know how difficult it is to be chill for a lot of people about these things. So I don't blame anybody who has issues with that, but by now at this ripe age, um, and after like 10, 11 years, I, I am able to say that. Um, and, and yeah, like it, it's also not a, not as much of a regular thing to where um, it would like bite me in the ass really quickly, this sort of mindset. But, um, but, but also like I, I did take steps that are going to make things easier. So for example, last time we went to this cottage that you mentioned um, or well, like weekend house really, but Okay. I think my in-laws would be highly offended if I called it a cottage. <laughs> it's it's a quite a beautiful house with like a freaking pool and everything. So, um, yeah, uh, when we went there, I actually took, uh, my dumbbells. I took around like 30 kilos, I think in total, which I will bring more next time. Um, and my default thing would have been to bring them back when we come back. But then I thought like, actually, why don't I just leave this here? Cause I have like this cable, uh, like functional trainer thingy here in our garage, a garage, well, in one of the rooms in the apartment. Um, so I don't really need these dumbbells here necessarily, but it's going to be very handy that it's already there. And I'm also thinking of buying one of these like mountable cable pulleys. Um, and then I can set that up there as well. And then, I mean, I can train my whole upper body very productively. Um, and so, so yeah, like, I mean, this is a little arrangement, like this is going to be a somewhat regular thing where I'm going to be getting away. Um, it's like, it's basically a village. There's nothing there. Um, no gym for sure. So I can use this from now on. So it's, it's, it's also good to, you know, just if you wanted to train, no matter how chill you are, if you can then arrange things so that that's possible. Um, some thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's excellent. That's a great mindset and mentality you've reached. And I, I can relate as someone who is very like goal oriented and obsessed with training and fitness where it can be hard to get to that state. Um, yeah. And definitely. I think you're, you're thinking around like seasonality is, is really smart. It makes a lot of sense. I think a lot of people can incorporate that. Yeah, it's, yeah. And it's, it's, it's also, um, um, sorry, maybe like you weren't gonna talk more about this, but just like one comment that I wanted to make is that, um, you know, a lot of these things is simply just learning from like, eventually life teaches you things and you just see what's actually happening as a result of your approach. And the thing is that like, I, so let's say 11 years. Um, I would say that nine of those 
I would not have been okay with having these seasons. Like, no, every season is full on season. Like that's, that's how I went about things. And not only was I fearful of having a different season, I didn't even want to be non-fearful of it because like it, like I said, it gave me purpose. It gave me um, something to think about, something to distract me. And, and I enjoyed it, you know, the, which is a pretty important thing. It was not like, a, I hate doing this, but then I would love to get away, but God damn it. Like I need to like, no, I enjoy training like full on and not missing days and whatever. Um, but you know, obviously the fact that I was fearful and I was pushing for max results was still a big part of it. And if I had, if what I had experienced up until that point was that, okay, I'm a lot more hardcore than everybody else, but I'm growing like a, a weed and I'm outgrowing everybody, then, you know, like it would have been a lot harder to let go of it still, like still now, but that's not what I, ex I had experienced. Like um, what I've seen is that, no, like it's still exceptionally hard for me to get results. And um, there are a bunch of people that are a lot more relaxed and like all these people, like some people are only training like three days a week and whatever. And like, um, training, like training a muscle group, like, like once a week only. And, um, and even that with some like questionable kind of training setups and like, like they are, they are getting jacked and, and it seems to be like, no, like the correlation between being as hardcore as I was for, and gains is like, seems seems to be like very very weak so you know eventually like you see that and you can only chase that observation away as if you didn't have that observation so long eventually you kind of like draw some some conclusions from that so uh yeah by now i guess it i've seen that enough times and that that i can i can be more comfortable with this sort of thing yeah yeah, I, I think having those experiences and those reps and seeing that it doesn't affect you, I can certainly relate to that with, with some travel and trips I've done with my wife recently. Um, yeah. And one thing uh, I wanted to ask you about is uh, you you are a big advocate of like high frequency training daily or training six days a week, but you have spoken about like finding that training legs twice a week works best for you in terms of frequency. Why do you think that's different than other body parts? So I think, um, I, so for the quads specifically, um, the, the answer is, um, the answer is a little bit different for the hamstrings and the quads. Um, for the hamstrings, I'm actually, um, I'm sort of going back and forth on that one. I, I actually think it could be okay uh, to train it more frequently. Um, like for example, um, for the hamstrings, I like, let's say you're following uh, like a daily training setup, like you're training seven days a week and then you're having, um, and, and you're actually going to follow high frequency training uh, setups, like, like, to, to its maximal like extent. So every day, every muscle group. So for the hamstrings, like if you had a setup, like, okay, uh, like a Romanian deadlift and then let's say a lying leg curl and then a seated leg curl 
and then like a 45 degree back extension or something where like okay it's it's the um, like like most of the resistance is going to be at the top of the movement where your glutes are squeezed and your torso is is um uh, perpendicular or perpendicular way which one is that is that the 90 degrees or the yeah parallel, parallel. to the ground yeah 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 um then then that's going to be uh I think workable. And then even if like after that, you return to the Romanian deadlifts, I think that could be like, if you did like two sets of each um, and it, it gets you like a total of 14 sets for your hamstrings for that week. I don't, I don't think that that would be necessarily worse than doing uh, like getting in those 14 sets by doing like three sets of Romanian deadlifts and then or four sets of Romanian deadlifts and then three sets of seated leg curls twice a week. Um, I think there is a very decent chance that they, they would be equally effective um, and equally safe as well. Um, it, it, there is something with these muscle groups that you can just stretch to such an extent. I think the pecs and the hamstrings are, are the two where that stretch is, is the most pronounced and you can like really feel it even. Um, the quads, you can also stretch out, but you don't feel it nearly as much. I don't think the muscle experience is the same level of like overall, like lengthening. Yeah. And, and so, so with these muscles, like there's just something that makes me feel uncomfortable, but a lot of it just could be my head and like what's in our heads as, as we discuss is often just like an intuition and it has nothing to do with what's actually happening. Um, uh, so, so, so there is that, um, I'm on the fence about that. And maybe I'm like 65% leaning in the direction of it. It would be completely fine. So you quad, said you mentioned well, chest um, being one that you can feel stretched more. Do you, do you also feel like training chest every single day mm, may not be the best? So, um, so, so that is, that is, um, I'm, I'm also on the fence about it. it it's actually the same, same as with the hamstrings at this point for me. Um, I have done that. I can tell you that I have done that for years. Um, and it was completely fine. Never had an issue. Um, and I, and not only that, but made great progress. Um, I have done that with clients as well and none of, none of them had an issue. Uh, so I, I did have a, did have clients who had issues with shoulders and pegs, but, um, none of them train daily. <laughs> Uh, which is not to say that it's superior or whatever, or that the other ones are problematic. It's just, uh, it's just that I, I don't, um, I don't think that it's inherently like, uh, problematic, but it, it could be that because it's hard to train those muscles or harder to train those muscles without experiencing some significant stretch. Um, and it's, it's basically like one one of the reasons that it's quite straightforward to train these muscle groups effectively, because like that stretch is, is making it so obvious, like what hits the muscle effectively and what doesn't like with, with some lifts, like you feel a lot of like pertur perturbations in in your, your delts, but barely anything in your pecs. And then with others, it's like, whoa, like it, you can feel the whole thing just expanding. Um, 
that's why it's it's like the whole mind muscle connection is a lot bigger issue for people in the back than in in the chest most of the time um so so it 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 could be that it's just like it's prudent like it it could be completely fine but like you just don't you definitely don't lose very much um it, probably anything in fact by but but even like convenience wise logistics wise like training it at least every other day I mean, how could that be, even if there are some unique benefits to high frequency training, how could it be like any significantly better um, to train it daily than every other day? It's it's like, it's meaningless. So it, it, it's at, at this point, I don't do that with clients. With myself, I do do that quite frequently. Um, but if God forbid, it turns out that there is an issue, I would rather mess myself up than my clients. <laughs> um, so it's one of those things. Um, with the quads, it's purely a logistical thing. Um, I think with the quads, there are many, like, there are so many exercises, which, um, kind of like, like squat variations, like some of them are going to be more knee dominant. Some of them are going to be more hip dominant. Um, the range of motion is going to be different. Like you can use like some bands, whatever, uh, that are going to slightly modify the strength curve and the resistance curve of the exercise. Um, some lifts are going to be like really well set up for high reps, some for much lower reps. So like there's a lot of variety. And, and, and for that reason, I think you could, you could actually train daily and, and for, like for, from the muscles perspective, it could be okay. Um, but the thing is that you cannot train the quads without involving the knees and, or at least not in any meaningful way. So for that reason, um, you need to think about how robust your knee joint is and how much beating it can take. And from that aspect, I think frequency matters. Um, so, and, and because, because the thing is that like one could say, okay, like, but what's the difference? So if the volume is the same, like, let's say you do again, like 14 sets a week, is it better to do seven sets? Like twice a week and then because like then you're really hammering it in in one session like seven sets like that's seven seven times your knees need to like get going and then go through all those reps and take all that beating is that better really than just doing two sets a day and then like having a whole day of recovery and whatever well yes because or potentially at least for me it definitely is um a because when you're training with higher frequencies, you're going to be stronger uh, on each exercise, uh, typically, right? So if you're doing three quad exercises, on the first exercise, you're going to be as strong as you are on that exercise. On the second and third, like you're already fatigued from the first. So relatively, you will be at least weaker acutely. Um how much that matters from from a muscle stimulus perspective that's still debated and and it's it's kind of an interesting question i think that i'm, I'm I, I think we're still kind of yet to to answer definitively but um the fact that you're acutely weaker definitely matters from your connective tissues perspective because from that aspect i mean basically up to a point and beyond a certain point certainly basically the lower the weight is that you're using the easier it is on the joint like 
um, even if I have some pretty nasty elbow pain, I can still do this. Like if I pull on a heavy cable, then that's going to be hurting my elbows a lot. Um, I emulated a tricep extension movement for those that are just listening to the audio. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so for the knees, like if, if you have sensitive knees, which um, at some point, I think everybody will at least e experience how it's like to have sensitive knees. It's a hinge joint. These hinge joints can get pissed off rather easily. Um, the, like tendons kind of running across and, and also like wrapping around things. So like if, if something is not aligned perfectly, it can over time really start getting some like friction that is not so ideal then it gets some tendinosis then that's really annoying um it's 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 just easy to piss these joints off and when that happens um or anyway not even going to go into that but but basically the easiest way one of the easiest ways to avoid that is to just use lighter weights well using lighter weights is tricky because then that also means higher reps higher reps on something like quad work is brutal. Um, but if you're doing like three exercises in one session, then you don't need to do higher reps, but you can use lighter weights because you're too tired to use heavier weights anyway. Yeah. So that, that's a, that's a huge benefit. Like if your eight rep max can become 70 kilos instead of a 110, I mean, that's a big win for your knee joints. So, yeah. um, that's one benefit. Plus, like for me, because I do have sensitive knees, um, I do need to warm up quite thoroughly before at least my first quad exercise. Um, man, I would rather just do that like twice a week than seven. Yeah. So that's kind of the other thing. Yeah, same. I think your last point, that can also apply to hamstrings too. Like you can easily get to a point where you're loading so much weight on an RDL that it's just super fatiguing injury risk is high. It's going to basically require a lot of stabilizer muscles. Even unracking the bar from the rack is going to be a huge pain in the ass. So being able to do like a leg curl, seated leg curl or a lying leg curl before that um, can be really beneficial um, yeah. for that reason. And that's another reason to do more of your hamstring volume on one day, I think. Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, um, and, and, and with some muscle groups, it's also like, uh, if someone really wanted to try higher frequency training in general, like, um, my kind of general rule of thumb is I like having basically like, but two things really. So I do like heavy work followed by moderate work followed by light work or 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 either that or heavy work then light work then moderate work but the problem with that would be then if there is no off day at all then it would be then heavy work as well and before the heavy work i like having either a rest day or something that's like minimally impactful hmm. so then that's good i think it's better to have the highest rep work on the day before so yeah. like then, then it would be something like squats head like heavy back squats like free weight then hex squats let's say ma machine hex squats well i guess there's no one oh no there is like free weight hex squat right um and then leg extension like high rep leg extension and then again the the heavy free weight squat i mean this is like a very hardcore setup i typically wouldn't use that but 
but but that would be workable um and yeah like but the thing is that like with some muscle groups you can violate these sorts of things and the same thing with like i prefer to have like um so like very stretch dominant followed by maybe like moderately stretch dominant followed by like very short like muscle length dominant something like that um but with some muscle groups you can get away with abusing these principles a lot more or just ignoring them like with delts like your rear delts like i mean seriously what would happen if you didn't even think about this at all nothing but erector spine yeah like like try doing heavy erector work (laughs) every single day yeah let me know how it goes yeah 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 i mean i i do side delts four days a week i think and i do similar rep ranges each day and i I try to do like stretch overload movements most of the time and it's not a problem (laughs) like there's no no issues i'm not getting any side delt tendonitis or anything so yeah definitely um cool well abel thank you so much for taking the time today it's been fascinating hearing your reflections and learnings on diet and training um where can folks find you and i'll have links in the show notes as well yeah uh, first of all thank you for having me again it was it was a really cool combo and i hope uh, i managed to um make some sense in the beginning i was like cringing at myself while talking like oh my god no, you're like great. you really got into the middle of this sentence like how am i gonna get out of this <laughs> um <laughs> was not used to doing these so um yeah where people can find me so my youtube channel is ssd able so ssd like the thing on your computer that um, can be too old and slow at times and then able um and instagram is able fit stuff like all in one word and what is it? Oh, and I have a website, ssdable.com, where um, like people can like reach out to me and stuff like that. So yeah, I think that's that, that's all, all there is, I think. Awesome. I'll have links to all of that um, so folks can find it in the description. And thanks again for your time. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the show. You can find The Scott My Show on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. Please leave a comment like, review, or share the podcast with your friends or followers. It helps more people find the show.